Mutiny Kids Ministry. And so uh, make sure that you come out for that. It's a great opportunity to invite some family and friends, but that will be a part of our Sunday morning service and be a a Christmas uh, presentation by our kids. It's always a wonderful blessing to be able to see them and be a part of our worship service. And so that is next Sunday, the 18th. And then the following Wednesday, December 21st, uh, that Wednesday night, there will be a a kids' party, so there'll be our regular Wednesday uh, evening service uh, here in the sanctuary, but then the kids will be having a special party, and we're going to have the bonfire outside and s'mores and games and music and opportunities uh, for the kids to just have some Christmas time fellowship and fun. And uh, I think, I was kind of thinking through this, it might be difficult for the adults to be in here while all the kids are making s'mores and having fun, and they'll be like, we're going to sit here and listen to Pastor Keith talk, and all the kids are having fun. But a great opportunity to invite some family and friends that have kids, that they can do that, and the adults can stay and worship together here. But that is on the 21st, so Wednesday night, the 21st, our regular Wednesday service for the adults, but then uh, uh, our kids, the Trinity kids, will be hosting a party We'll be able to enjoy some some fun and Christmas festivities outside and inside as well. So mark that on your calendar. Be looking for the email reminder for that as well. That's Wednesday night, December 21st. All kids and their friends are welcome, of course. So as always, there's much more to know about how to get involved uh, here at Trinity. Some of us are still getting over our colds. And um, the different ways that you can use your gifts to serve and just uh, opportunities either for fellowship or uh, to serve as well. And so uh, check out our website often, trinityallenwood.com for more information. So um, let's pray. Let's pray once again as we open God's word together. Father, we have been praying and we have been worshiping, and it is good to do that together in this space. You have called us to be the church. We are the church, your body, and uh, we are thankful for that, that we have one another to live out this Christian faith in this world together. We ask for your continued blessing and strength, and now as we open uh, the scriptures, Lord, your very word to us, uh, would your spirit, through his illuminating ministry, Guide us through the scriptures, show us, lead us into all truth, that we may be changed, not the same people as we were when we walked through those doors to come in this morning, that we would be transformed by the renewing of our mind, and that through it all, you, Father God, would get all the glory, and we thank you in Jesus' name, amen. All right, I'm going to ask you to be honest, I don't want a show of hands, but how many of you have ever re-gifted a Christmas gift. You know you have, right? There's sort of that awkward laughter like, yeah, yeah, yeah. How does he know that I did that? Where you get a gift and you're just like, oh, I love this. But you're already planning like, who can I re-gift this to, right? Or have you ever received a gift that was meant to be, it's probably given still with love and thoughtfulness, but you realize at some point that it was a gift that they were given, and then they just re-gifted it to you, right? I remember one time getting a Target gift card, and it didn't have the amount on it, and so it was a part of a Christmas present, you know, and went, and it wasn't from anybody in my family. It was something from a a friend, and so uh, went to use it, but it didn't have the amount on it, and so um, when I went to use it, you know, I assumed it was whatever, $25, $50, you know, and um, the cashier had said, okay, well, the amount on the card was $23.18. Wow, and so I thought, I highly doubt that somebody went and said, I'd like a gift card for $23.18. Then you're like, Oh, thank you. How can I re-gift something to that friend, right? <laughs> well, we've all kind of been there, you know, but, uh, but I have to say, though, that there is a good reason, a very good reason, to re-gift a gift, and that is the gift of God's grace. Because if you think about it, any gift from God is really worth re-gifting and should be re-gifted, especially the grace of God. That is one gift that we are meant to re-gift because as God blesses us 
with his gifts. The word says that all good gifts come from above, right? From the heavenly father above. Whether they are the spiritual gifts that we talked about a few weeks ago, that the, the spirit gives us at the moment of salvation to bless the church and to uplift and edify the church, or whether they are just those other gifts that the Lord blesses us with each and every day, that we are to give those to other people. See, we are simply to be, um, in a way, like a reservoir of the gifts that we then give it to others, not to keep it and not to hoard it or just use it selfishly, but whatever the Lord blesses us with, especially his grace, we are to then take that and re-gift it and give it to others. That's the nature of being a disciple of Jesus, that we learn to do that better and better, to be less and less <clears throat> selfish, but to be more and more selfless, right? That we are to take what the Lord gives us in all things and bless other people with it. So we should be, as Christians, the best re-gifters on the planet as we consider all the things that God has given us. This morning, uh, as we begin to actually, we're wrapping up our whole series on the discipleship pathway, we have this week and next week, we're going to talk about practicing grace with others. What does that look like? We've talked a lot about God's grace, and you've noticed, and I've said this many times, that Grace, it's this big word, but it has such a deep meaning, really just flows through every step of being a follower of Jesus. Grace in many ways is like that common denominator of every aspect of being a follower of Jesus, whether it's from that moment of salvation where we know that we are saved by God's grace through our faith in Jesus Christ and him alone, or whether it's baptism, or whether it's learning to be generous, or whether it's being on mission for God, whatever that step is, and all those things we've looked at through our series on the discipleship pathway, we realize that grace keeps coming up over and over. Because grace is that most important of all issues and matters that we as believers in Jesus are to understand more and more and to grow in each and every day. But what does it look like specifically, and this is our, our, um, our discussion for this morning, what does it look like to be gracious in our relationships? Gracious towards one another. We've learned a lot about, and we understand what scripture says about God's grace towards us. Grace, again, is unmerited favor. It's God giving us something we didn't earn, and we don't deserve. That is God's grace towards us. But what does that look like, church, in our relationship with other people? How do we show grace? We understand this idea of receiving God's grace. How do we re-gift grace to others in our relationships? Because of what it accomplishes inside of each of us, God's gift of grace has the power to dramatically change each and every one of our relationships. The follower of Jesus Christ simply gives grace to other people, right? So we have talked about many different things that um, mark the life of a disciple. This is our discipleship pathway. It is the tool, and these cards are a part of that. It is a tool that we uh, began looking at in September that will help all of us here at Trinity to keep each other accountable, to help us all stay on track together, to be followers of Jesus. It is these 12 sort of essentials that we glean right from Scripture to help us understand what does it look like to be a Christian, to be a follower of Jesus? What are the things that we are to be giving our time and attention to as we grow to be more like Jesus? That's why it's such an important tool. We have written materials that we can make use of, this information is on our website as well. The information on these cards and a little bit more detail is on there. We have that brochure that, that uh, when you open it up, it shows the map of the pathway. It's not a linear map. We all start at the same spot. 
trusting in Jesus for salvation. But from there, we realize our journeys are going to look different, but weaving throughout each and every step is this idea of grace. And these are all specific issues, all 12 of them, that we all have to address and give attention to and specifically be intentional about growing in, but it's going to look different how we get there and and, uh, where we are in our journey with these things. However, it's important that we consistently, on a regular basis, take stock of where we are. Are we growing as disciples? Are we growing as followers of Jesus? So this morning, we're going to look at grace in our relationships. And why is that? Because we live in a world defined by relationships. I don't think we can deny that, any of us. We are designed by God to live in relationship. God is relational, isn't he? The Trinity, the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit. He said way back in the beginning of the Bible, back in Genesis, he said, let us make man in our image. The Trinity, that we are to in some ways join in that fellowship. So whether we are good at relationships or not doesn't change the fact that relationships are all around us. We are relational people because we're made in the image of a relational God. This is how God designed it. He has engineered us to live in relationship. God's gift of grace is much more than just a means of rescue from sin. Now, First and foremost, it is that. We're reminded in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, right? In Ephesians 2, that we are saved by grace through faith. It's not of our works, so none of us can boast about what we did to earn our salvation. We are saved by grace through faith. So yes, first and foremost, grace is at the heart of the gospel. But grace is such a force in the life of a disciple that it ought to inform all of our relationships, all of them. Grace unleashes a very powerful flow of love and of mercy and forgiveness and redemption wherever we allow it to work. As we submit to the inner working of the Holy Spirit, through our prayer, through our obedience to his word, then that grace will flow through our love and mercy and forgiveness and ultimately our redemption. So along with the spirit of God living in us and with God's word to guide us, God has abundantly provided his powerful grace to affect each and every one of our relationships. We can experience the freedom of God's forgiveness, which comes only because of God's grace. And we can re-gift that forgiveness to others, especially those who have hurt you. Think about that, right? We can experience the freedom of God's forgiveness because of God's grace. And all of this, this, even this forgiveness is possible because God has fully met our own needs. See, again, we are those conduits as God blesses us and forgives us and shows us his grace, then we are to bless others and forgive others and show grace towards others. He gives us an infinite supply of grace. Think about that. There is never a shortage of grace in the life of a believer. Now, we might not always be willing to show grace, but God is always giving that grace and making it available that we are then to bless others with it. So ask yourself some of these questions as we take a look at this this morning, what the Bible says about grace in our relationships. Think about these things in your own life as a a reference point and as a picture, thinking about some of the people in your life that perhaps you have experienced grace with or that you know or being convicted already that you need to re-gift God's grace to. Think about these things. How would you rate the overall health in your relationships? 
Or what has been the most difficult relationship that you've had this past year? Why has it been so challenging? Has there been a lack of grace? What has forgiveness looked like for you in your personal relationships? Would people describe you as being generous in your relationships when it comes to grace and forgiveness and humility? Or how about this? How would our church, Trinity Bible Church, benefit from more grace being given in each of our relationships here? And what's your part in that? We have a great booklet on grace that's available. If some of you have already, excuse me, used that or have worked through that, if you're interested, just let me know. I can give you one of those. It's simply called grace. Grace because it is secure and sure and free. It's uh, mostly adapted from a simple book called Grace by my friend, Pastor Scott Pollock. It's an excellent work, and he allowed us uh, the privilege of being able to adapt it for our needs here. But it's a great book that reminds us so much about grace, including grace in relationships. So I want to just share some scriptures with you. Uh, And so I'll ask you to get your Bibles ready. You can use the the Bible app on your phone, if you'd like, and there's just a handful of scriptures I want us to look at this morning uh, that are all related to this idea of grace in our relationships. It's a simple concept, but yet so profound because each of us, I guarantee you, we all need to be more gracious to the people that the Lord has blessed us with. I think we can all say amen to that, right? We can all say amen to that, yes. So, grace in our relationships. Let's start with Ephesians 4, 29. Ephesians 4, verse 29. No matter what version you're using, ESV, NIV, uh, NASB, KJV, all the, the letters, you know. I missed a few. NKJV. <clears throat> Look at what it says in Ephesians 4, 29. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. Well, we can stop right there. How are we doing with that? <laughs> but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of others or the need of our relationships, so that, and then here it is, so that it will give grace to those who hear. So let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. So he's saying, Paul is saying, be careful of what you say, careful of the words we choose to speak to other people. But he's saying, use only words that's good for edification, means the building up, the encouraging of others according to their needs. So in a relationship, We are to be invested so that we understand what the people we love need. And this is a good time as we look back on a year that's coming to a close, or as we look forward to the year ahead, hopefully we're doing both to some degree or another, that we think about specifically our relationships. How often do we do that? Do we look back at the year and say, boy, it was a tough year in relationships, I didn't really speak to this person that much, this person I haven't spoke to in all year, or maybe there's some that there are new relationships and and that you're really thankful to God for. But how are we doing in our relationships when it comes to being gracious? And it really does start with the words that we speak, because where do those words come from? From the heart. As we talked last week about generosity, we talked about it truly is, in essence, a heart issue, But if we are to be re-gifters of God's grace, it often comes not only in the acts that we do, it's important, but the words that we speak. So Paul is telling us to be careful that we don't have what he says, any unwholesome word. We have to make sure the words we choose to use in our relationships with others, with others, are uplifting and encouraging and edifying. Here's something that I struggle with. Many of you maybe can relate. I don't know. 
course, joking. I love to joke. I love to laugh. You know, sometimes it's ironic humor. It's a dry wit. It's, it's being sarcastic, right? I think we all understand that. But boy, sometimes there's a fine line, isn't there? And sometimes you cross it. And you take your foot out of your mouth, right? You say, man, I shouldn't have said that. And sometimes we have to ask forgiveness for that. And it's a, it can be a slippery slope or a fine line that we get to. But Paul is saying, be careful. In your relationships, I think it, you know, it seems simple enough, but it's important that we are reminded often that if we are to be gracious in our relationship with others and re-gifting God's grace, because we're not gracious on our own, right? We're only gracious to others because of God's grace towards us. If we are those conduits, if we are re-gifting God's grace, let's be careful about the words that we choose. But he also says, so they're lifting up according to people's needs, but the only way we know what people need is to be in relationship with them, to give them of your time and your attention. How often do you catch yourself listening to a friend tell you a story and all you're doing is waiting for your opportunity to say what you have to say, right? Instead of listening to what they have to say first. It's not always that easy. But we live in a world that's defined by relationships, whether we know it or not. And God's grace can powerfully transform those relationships in every way. That's how God designed it. God's relational, and he interacts with us in grace. It's like his language, love, grace. God's grace is so good. It leads us to be more loving, to even be more merciful and more forgiving in every way as we allow him to work in us. Think about God's grace as a gift to give. As we're buying gifts for other people and and as we're maybe thinking about those gifts and praying about those gifts that we want the people to give to us. Maybe you leave little hints around, you know. People, you drop hints, you say something in a text, right? Right? Sometimes we're good at saying something without saying something, right? Yeah, we can do that. But you know what? Unfortunately, many relationships between people, we have these in our lives as well, are based on more on earning or maybe on fear or even on control or power instead of grace. There are very few free gifts given in relationships, unfortunately, with no strings attached. Think about it. This is why grace can be such a powerful and refreshing tool for relational health and growth. Again, as we think about our relationships from this past year, how healthy have they been? Boy, we can be more gracious. Because there's very few things, if you think about it, in relationships that are actually done with freedom, with no strings attached. Most of us, at some point or another, understand grace is simply something we receive from God, and this is true, but we have the opportunity to treat others the way God has treated us. And just think about that. If nothing else, we are called to treat other people the way God has treated us. He has treated us, us with grace. Of course, most importantly, through his son, Jesus. We have the great privilege of being able to re-gift God's grace for he has abundantly poured his grace into our lives so that we can give grace to others right look at colossians 3 there's a couple more i want us to look at colossians 3 verses 12 and 13 the letter of uh, paul to Co- the church in colossi colossians 3 12 to 13 here's what paul says colossians 3 so As those who have been chosen of God, he's talking about us, the church, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion. He's going to list some things we are to do. Put on a heart of compassion, of kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving one another, Whoever has a complaint against anyone. 
just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Some of us are just thinking, ouch, right? Paul says, as the church, as those who have been forgiven and blessed and been recipients of God's wonderful and amazing grace, he says, you know what? From your heart, be compassionate and kind and humble and gentle and patient. Bear with each other. Forgive each other. And if somebody has a complaint against you, forgive them. Why? Because God has forgiven you. You know, Paul so often talks about unity in the church. You know, I don't know why. Because as he went along and planted these churches, or he discipled people that planted churches and they were leading them, oftentimes he'd come back around, and not too long after that, there'd be disunity in the church. Already there was disunity in such a young group of believers. It's part of human nature. It comes from that heart of stone. It comes from that heart of self, selfishness, self-focus. And so he says, you know what? Think of others. Be mindful of your relationships. Why? Because it leads to unity. Church, if we are to be an example to the world around us, if we are, as we're called, God's ambassadors, ambassadors of Jesus Christ, representing God's kingdom, his future kingdom, Right? Jesus said to pray, his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, that we are to be representatives here and now of what things are going to be like in the kingdom, then we are to be forgiving and we are to be humble and we are to be compassionate and we are to be gracious. That we are to be his representatives, you know what? And so we are to be his example individually, but as a church. So this is where we do it. See, we practice grace with others. We do it here in a loving and forgiving environment so that we can be gracious to those who are unbelievers, who are not yet believers in Jesus. At our places of work and where we go to school and where we shop in our neighborhood, our communities, we want to be gracious to everybody, but it starts in our hearts and it starts here in our church to practice grace with others so we can be gracious in all of our relationships. So grace is a gift to give. Let's talk about grace and humility. Think about when you were first saved. Not that you're saved multiple times. Just think about that first time, that moment when you were saved, when you believed in the Lord Jesus for salvation, when you trusted Jesus as your Savior. At that moment, God chose to pour out an infinite supply of grace into your weakness and your emptiness. Thus, your starting position, my starting position in every relationship should be one of humility. Let's think about that. In every relationship, our starting point should be one of humility. If we just simply remember, and God saved me. While I was yet a sinner, Christ died for me not because of anything that I did or anything that I deserved or earned, because God was gracious for me and to me and with me. I, therefore, should be humble. In my relationship with other people, I should show humility. It is our starting position. Think about it this way. What do we have that has not been given to us from God. Well, everything in life seems to go against this truth. It is critically important that we remember all that God has done for us. If we start in any relationship with a posture of humility and gratitude, then we can be really good re-gifters of God's grace. James 4, 6 says, he gives a greater grace. Therefore, it says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to who? To the humble. How about grace and forgiveness? Grace is a lot about humility. How about grace and forgiveness? Look at Ephesians 4, 32. Ephesians 4, 32 before I ask you to look at Ephesians 4.29, just a few verses later, Ephesians 4.32, you can see how 
Paul had a lot to say about keeping unity in the church and how we are to treat one another in relationships, all based on graciousness. Ephesians 4, verse 32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Again, Paul says that, you know, he's great at this. He's the master of saying the same thing over and over in many different ways. It's, 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 um, it's a very um, valuable way to, uh, to get a point across. It's very effective. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving, but just as God in Christ also forgave you. How do we re-gift grace? How do we show grace? By forgiving. Maybe there's no greater relational gift that grace can provide than forgiveness, right? Sometimes we misunderstand that. See, forgiving is not simply just being sorry or just trying to make amends for something you've done. Forgiveness is a choice. Did you know that? Forgiveness is a choice we make. When somebody wounds us in any way, we've all been wounded. We all have the scars to prove it. In a way, they're in debt to us when they wound us. They owe something to us in a real way. Think about it this way. This debt wound, we might call it, is what can lead to anger and frustration and the cold shoulder. Forgiveness, however, is a choice to release the other person from that debt, you see? When somebody wounds you in a way, they are indebted to you. But forgiveness is a choice we make to release someone else from the debt. So they no longer owe us that debt because we choose to free them. It is a choice. Forgiveness really isn't about the other person. It's for us. You can even choose not to discuss that offense again. You can choose to forget it. This is forgiveness. It's much more than just an act of goodwill. You can forgive others only because God has richly forgiven you. And this choice grows out of the gift of God's grace. See, it all flows from God's grace. Think about it. We've all been wounded. We know what that's like. How are we doing with being forgiving because of God's graciousness? Or think about it this way. It gives us perspective. Who has been more wounded than God himself? Because of what Jesus perfectly accomplished on the cross, through our faith in Jesus, God has forgiven us every debt that we owe to him. We owe God more than we could ever pay in a thousand lifetimes, and we know it. But by grace, he has forgiven us. And since we have been forgiven so much, forgiving others should be a choice that we make as often as possible. So much of it is about perspective, friends. It really is. Remembering who we are, what's been given to us, and it has been given to us for just to keep and just for ourselves, be given to us that we would share. How about grace and our forgiveness? Hmm. Look at James 5.16. Just a couple more, and we'll wrap it up. James 5.16. You can turn to your Bibles in that. James chapter 5, verses 16. It says, therefore, it's always good when a sentence starts with therefore, right? You're like, okay, what is this therefore? Therefore, confess your sins to one another, it says in James 5, 16. And pray for one another so that you may be healed. Wow, confess your sins to others and pray for other people so that we can find healing in our relationships. The effective prayer of a righteous person can accomplish very much. James 5, 16. Boy, you ever think about the power of unconfessed sin in the life of a believer? It festers and becomes very toxic. We are to recognize our sins, confess them to the Lord. And then we're also told that there is great value in confessing sins to one another. For somebody that you have hurt, 
We can pray for each other, praying for those that have hurt you. For the effect of prayer, the righteous can accomplish much. Also turn to Matthew 5. Let's turn now to Matthew 5, 23 and 24. Matthew 5, 23 and 24, look at what Jesus said. The very words of Jesus himself in Matthew 5, verses 23 to 24. If you are presenting your offering at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your offering there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, then come present your offering. How about that for a teaching? You know, uh, once a month here on Sundays and then every Wednesday evening, in our evening, Wednesday evening service, we take communion together. We remember the Lord's sacrifice on our behalf through the taking of the bread and the cup. It's what he commanded us to do. It's what he instituted on the night before he was betrayed, betrayed remembering that the bread represents his body given for us and the blood shed for us, our behalf. He does that for us so that we can remember. But in part of that description of what that looked like that Paul gives us in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul also says, you know what, before you take the communion, just take a moment to reflect and take stock of your relationship with God and with others so that we don't take communion right, with the wrong heart attitude and thus offend God. And Jesus is saying it here, this great principle, if you're about to go worship God, if you're about to go present your offering on the altar, whatever that may look like for us, and there you remember that your brother has something against you, or we could put in there that you have something against your brother, he says, leave the offering at the altar and go. He's like, take care of that right away. Be reconciled to your brother first, then come present your offering. It's like, here I am to worship. Wait, I got something that I got to make right. Let's hold on to this worship and let's go reconcile in our relationship so I can come back and offer myself in worship with a clean and pure heart and a conscience, right? That has been, conscience that has been, that has been cleansed in a sense by confessing and asking forgiveness, but it's all because of God's grace. So what about when you do the wounding? We talk a lot about us being wounded and the scars we have. We are to pray for those who wound us, and we are to be forgiving and even gracious towards those people especially. But what about when you do the offending, when you are the one who is wounding? For many of us, accepting God's forgiveness for sin that we have committed can be just as difficult as forgiving someone else who have sinned against us. Remember, God's grace covers all of our sin, past, present, and future. As a follower of Jesus, we don't have to fear this because when we sin against someone else, and we all do, we should ask for forgiveness. First, confess to God, ask God for forgiveness, because when we confess, it doesn't mean that, we're, that we are um, doing that so we don't lose our salvation. We don't believe that. But we confess our sins to keep our fellowship with God clear and clean and close. But next, we should ask for forgiveness from whomever we have hurt. How hard is it to say these simple words, will you please forgive me for hurting you? When's the last time you had to say those words? Just ask. Now remember this, the response is up to them. We can't control what other people say or do. We can't control how other people react to the things that we say or do. But we can control what we say, what we do. So we, when we are the offender, are to ask for forgiveness and say those simple words, would you please forgive me? For hurting you. I am sorry. We don't know how they're going to respond. The response is up to them. Sometimes we'll say, well, I'm not even going to ask for forgiveness because I know how they're going to respond. Well, first of all, you're putting God in a box because you don't know what God's going to do in their life. 
But regardless, we know what God has called us to do, and that is to ask for forgiveness, to confess. Perhaps that's a way of re-gifting God's grace. We never know what God's going to do in their lives. So, how about grace and love? Because God's grace also allows us to love others as God loves, with, without regard to things like worthiness. Are they worthy of my grace? Think about all that's wrong with that statement. Right? It's not our grace. It's God's grace in us and through us to re-gift to others. So we are to love others without regard for worthiness or their actions or even their attitude. That's a product of forgiveness, right? We love because God first loved us. This really is grace. God loved us when we were still called his enemies. That's why he can say, pray for and forgive those who persecute you. Isn't that right? We are to reflect God's grace. How about grace and generosity? We are to be generous in our grace Great relationships enjoy a heaping measure of generosity, right? We can freely give because of the great grace given to us in Christ. It's born out of humility. We have the freedom of forgiveness that we can be generous givers of God's grace. How about grace in our service? See how it affects every aspect of our relationships, the way we're generous with other people, the way we forgive, humility. How about how we serve other people? Perhaps the greatest friendships we have are strengthened by the help and the service that we can give without any strings attached, without even asking for anything. Just as grace is free of charge, it allows us to serve others without expecting anything in return. That's not always easy to do. It goes against the humanity of our heart, our sinfulness. But we are to just serve and bless others without expecting anything in return. We can serve a stranger and know that God our Father sees in secret, we, we have done. We can serve our closest of friends. We can serve each other in the church family, even our enemies, and hopefully they're not also in our church family. But we can do it only in the power of God's grace, right? Jesus said himself, he came not to be served, but to serve. Two more, grace and freedom. All these gifts of grace, all these things we mentioned, allow us to live freely with other people. We talk about no strings attached and with humility and forgiveness. You know what, church? This all leads to freedom. Don't we want to be free? We don't want to be burdened by all these things that we keep inside, these things that we decide not to share with others. See, when we're not re-gifters of God's grace, we might think, oh, I'm going to hoard all these gifts for myself, but eventually it becomes a burden and we become chained to them because we're not using them for their intended purposes. So we are to be set free in our relationships by being conduits of God's grace. We can trust in God's unfailing love and his abundant grace for any relational difficulty that you might have. Any relationship that you have, perhaps those that you were thinking about earlier when I asked you that question, what have your relationships been looking like? Any relationship and any of its struggles and difficulties can be set free by the power of grace. Do you believe that? That is the grace of God. You don't have to look it up, but I'll mention it. Galatians 5.1, it was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. Now, Paul, of course, and Jesus talk so much to the Jewish people and, of course, to the, all the, the newest believers, the first Christians, all having been Jewish and didn't want them to be subject to the slavery of the law any longer. But even in, in the midst of what that meant in their relationships, he said, just be free in all of this because God freely gives. And so we are then to be set free by any of those burdens by blessing others and giving freely. 
Finally, we are to grow in God's grace. Because it's not just as simple as understanding all this. This is where we wrap it up, right? The application point. It's not just about understanding, okay, yes, grace and humility and grace and love and grace and generosity, grace and serving, grace and freedom. I understand the connection. It's great. It takes time and it takes difficulties. It can take struggle in practice in real relationships if we're willing to invest in other people and let them invest in you. Maybe some of us struggle. Yes, you're willing to be gracious to others and you give and you serve, but do you also let people do that for you? Are you allowing other people the blessing of blessing you? You know, this time of year, we might often get things in the mail, we get emails, we get phone calls about different charities and organizations that want us to give, right? And there's a reason for that, because this, this time of year, people are in that giving mode, right? And we're talking about that and thinking about that. So we understand the nature of that, about giving, right? But are we willing to invest the most important of things, and that is our relationships, our relationship with God and our relationship with other people. We're we willing to invest. Are we willing to speak truth into people's lives, to be gracious and loving and forgiving? And are you willing to let people in to your heart of hearts? Are we willing to do that? We will be blessed. It doesn't mean it will always be easy. But you know what it does? It gives us the opportunity to learn forgiveness. It certainly gives us the opportunity to learn about humility. It gives us the opportunity to grow in God's grace when we willingly enter into relationships with other people. And finally, I were reminded in every one of these aspects of the discipleship pathway that grace is free. Again, we were created by God to live in relationships. But because of sin, it can be terribly difficult and oftentimes painful. But along with the Spirit of God living in us and God's Word to guide us, God has powerful grace for us in our relationships. We can experience freedom in God's forgiveness and then re-gift that forgiveness through humility and love to even those who have hurt us. We can give, love, and serve others in the freedom that grace provides. Would you stand? I have one verse that I want to read to you. It'll be up on the screen. You don't have to, to look up. All of these things are possible because God has fully met our needs. His love is the answer. And because God is love, he is gracious. So we are to be gracious towards others graciously and lovingly from a position of humility, we can be re-gifters of God's amazing grace. And this love, this humility, this forgiveness, this grace is perfectly pictured in the sacrifice of his son, Jesus Christ. And in our relationship with him and with others, we have an infinite supply of grace. So church, let us be the best re-gifters of God's grace. 2 Peter 3.18 says this, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your abundant love and for your amazing grace. Lord God, may we never underestimate the power of your grace in our lives. But God, help us, please, in this very important area, that we would be willing to be gracious towards others in our relationships. God, that we would be willing to understand how you have forgiven us so that we can forgive others that we can understand how we have been set free from the penalty of sin, that we might release others through forgiveness of their sin debt towards us. God, may we pray for and be gracious towards those whom 
we have hurt as well as those who have hurt us. But God, through it all, we want to be known as people of grace, people that exude grace, and people that continue to show grace towards others. Lord God, we know that it's a lifelong learning process. It is a journey. But God, help us today. Help us this morning. And as we leave this place, Lord, may we be more gracious than than when we walked in. God, may we practice grace with others, starting with this church body this week. Lord God, maybe even when we meet again that we would be willing to share stories of what grace has done in the midst of our relationships. Finally, Lord, as we bring this year to a close, as we think back and reflect on our relationships, all different kinds, God, may we see where we have been deficient in regifting grace, and God, give us the strength and the courage to be givers of your grace in this new coming year, Lord. May we do it better, and may we bless others because we are more gracious. And God, we thank you for the relationships that we have, especially and most importantly, the one with Jesus Christ, the one that we can have with you because of him. So it's in his name that we pray through the power of the Spirit, but always, Father God, to you be the glory. Amen and amen. Thank you, church, for joining us this morning. Let's go and practice grace with other people.